Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the struggling church in Corinth. They were allowing the culture to influence them more than they were impacting the world. As a result, the church was crumbling. Paul's strong words of rebuke and encouragement teach us many things about how we as believers should live in a dark and depraved world. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to read beginning in verse 26. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three, in each in turn, and one must interpret But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are subject themselves, but subject themselves just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church." Was it from you that the word of God first went forth? Or, was it to, or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. You may be seated. We've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians here on Sunday mornings. If you're new or just visiting with us, maybe this is your first time. We've been studying this book. And in the past five weeks, we've been in a section of this letter. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a specific church in Corinth. Um, where Paul is addressing in this section spiritual gifts. This church had issues going on when it came to the gifts of the Spirit. Some were abusing the gifts of the Spirit. And so Paul, as the founding pastor, as, as he would say, their spiritual father, felt it necessary to address them and to write them up concerning the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And today we're wrapping up this section of Scripture And we're going to be looking at the gift of tongues. And what we're going to look at today is not just the gift of tongues, but also the order in which um, Paul gives the church in Corinth and how to properly and biblically exercise the gifts of the Spirit in our church gatherings. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is filled with amazing guidance when it comes to spiritual gifts, namely prophecy and tongues. And if you weren't here last week, we looked at prophecy. So we're not going to address prophecy today. You're going to be reading. You're like, why is he skipping over all these sections? We're zooming out. Last week was on prophecy. I would encourage you to go, if you missed it, to go on the podcast app or on the church website and listen to it. But today we are going to look more at the tongues, the gift of tongues. So let's just dive right in. Let's go look at, looking at verse 26. Let's read it. It says, what is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation, and let all things be done for edification. So when we come together as the church of Jesus Christ on Sundays, Paul is speaking here and he's mentioning and he's saying that everyone who gathers, is meant to contribute. And you might hear that and you might be like, oh, that's kind of different from what I thought. 
Like, I just kind of assume that I just come to church, like I show up, I watch, I receive. But the leaders of the church are really the ones, you know, doing all of the serving and all of the doing. I just kind of just show up, right? That's not how it works. Christianity is not a spectator sport. You see, you can go to a Blazer game. Now, I'm a big Blazer fan, and I'm grateful that they're doing well this year. But you can go to a Blazer game, and it's very clear that you are just a spectator. You're not one of the players when you're there in the Moda Center. Now, you might be a crazy fan, and some of the fans think, and they pretend that they are one of the players, right? They pretend that they could be a player, and they critique things you know, happening on the court like they're one of the players, But the reality is you're just a spectator. You don't really contribute to what happens on the court. You know, if you try, they'll probably arrest you, okay? Like, so we don't do that. But the way that you and I would contribute to a Blazer game is, well, we purchase tickets, we buy that really expensive hot dog that no one really likes, but we do it anyway. And so we contribute in those types of ways, but you don't really contribute to the game itself. And I think a lot of people think of church in this same way. Like I show up, kind of on the other side over here, I watch, I critique the paid professionals, if you will, not you guys, but some critique the paid professionals, right? But you show up, you just watch, you don't really contribute, you're just here to receive, and you might view this as a a transactional type of thing, right? I pay my tithe, and I just sit in the chair. Listen, the church is not a spectator sport. We are all meant to come together and every single one of us here this morning, you're called to contribute to the body of Christ. As I've mentioned before in our study in the past couple weeks, the Sunday gathering where we're currently at is not about the performance of some. It's not about the performance of just leaders, but it's about the contribution of the saints. And you might hear that and you're like, That's kind of odd. Like, what do I have to offer? Like, I can't sing. Like, I can't go up there and teach God's word. Like, I get nervous, like, being in front of a crowd. Like, what do I have to offer? Now, I want to remind you that it doesn't have to be on stage for it to count. You know, people are helping out and they're serving this very moment in a variety of ways. You know, all you see right now is Josh and Jessica leading us in worship this morning. What you see right now is me on stage exercising one spiritual gift of teaching. But there's so much more going on. Right now, like I can just look around this room. You have Jan back up there on projection and, and Mike's at the board with all of the cool knobs and, and, and Dan and we have some ushers in here helping you find a seat this morning. The security, you know, ministry is happening and they're warmly, you know, not warmly because it's freezing cold, but they're, you know, bringing umbrellas. They're making sure your car stays here and it doesn't get broken into. And, you know, just so many, the basic need people, they're, they're like grabbing turkeys from you and they're, they're putting food boxes. So many people, our kids ministry has a variety of servants right now this morning. And those are just formal roles. And so when you think, you know, what do I really have to offer? Do I have something to contribute? The answer to that is yes. And the answer where we look to that is spiritual gifts. Maybe you have the gift of encouragement. And that's just your gift. It's not necessarily a formal role. But maybe the Lord would want you to come on Sundays and be intentional to look around the lobby, to look around the sanctuary and say, man, who in here is discouraged in life? Who can I just encourage? Who can I speak life and speak hope into? Maybe you have the gift of service or helping, and you're just like, you know what, yeah, I can't play guitar, but you know what, I can stack chairs, I can, you know, sign me up, I can do like the women's Christmas social, and I can, you know, bring in tables and, you know, do all of that, like I can do that, serve, we need that, the body of Christ needs that. Maybe your gift is like leadership and administration, and and so afterwards, maybe after church, the Lord would want to use you to like organize your friend group, your home group, to like go out to lunch. And you can just minister and just be with one another in fellowship. Maybe that's how the Lord would want to use you this morning. We're all gifted. Maybe your gift is generosity. Maybe, maybe the Lord has given you means by which to, to over and beyond, you know, just support financially the ministry that the Lord has called us to as a church. 
And those are just a few gifts. But you see, the part, part of the problem in how we think about church and the function in church is that we're in this consumerism context. And let me say this, American consumerism has destroyed the American church. And so we end up having this shopping, not we, when I say we, I'm using it very loosely. I probably am not thinking of any of you, but like we, the tendency is we can have a, a, you know, a shopping mall mentality when it comes to the church, right? We go to church, we say, I'll have this, and I'm going to forget about that, and this kind of bothers me over here, but, you know, oh, I'm going to, you know, hang out over in this section, and I'm going to avoid this, and I'm going to avoid that, and I'm going to do it on my terms, right? The customer's always right, and again, it becomes, though, this transactional approach. I'll pick, and I'll choose, I'll give here and I'll leave this over here. But listen, church, if that's your, your view of the church, you're mistaken. There, it is so much more than this shopping mall spirituality. I like to, and I've, and I've shared this before, I like to think of the church and the gathering together is more like a family potluck. Now, you know this about me, I hate potlucks. Like, I, I'm just not a fan of them. I just, I, I think I'm a little OCD. Like, I like to know where the food comes from, how it's been prepared, how it's been delivered, all of that. That's on me. You guys probably don't struggle in that area. When someone does at a potluck, bring like KFC fried chicken. I'm like, thank you. I'm not going to go starving today. Um, <laughs> But for family, right? When our family, first service, I'm like, my family's a lot smaller, so I'm going to use Mary's family as an example. It's a little bit larger. She has more siblings, decent cooks, and all of that. And uh, when we gather together for a family gathering, everyone is meant and, and is supposed to contribute, right? Everyone brings something. Thanksgiving's happening, you know, in a couple weeks, and, and when you're gathering with your family, the, unless it's different in your family, but the host is not the only one who, who, you know, puts on the whole meal. Everyone who's invited and attends contributes to the dinner. Well, the church is a family, and we're, we're reminded of that here. Paul says in verse 26, what is the outcome then? Brethren. By calling them brethren, Paul is reminding them that they have been adopted into a family. They didn't sign up for a spiritual country club, but rather they've been adopted into this family. And that's what it means to be part of the church. And so the church, again, it's a family. We gather for worship and all of it is worship. Right? Again, not just the music from a couple on stage, but people serving right in the parking lot, walking you in with umbrellas. That's worship. People greeting you at the door, people serving in kids' ministry. That's all worship. What happens before the service and after the service, it's all worship. And every single person is meant to contribute. Listen, if you are just relying on the gifts of some, we're going to be an imbalanced body. We need the gifts of all. And as I've tried to make it clear in the past few weeks, Sundays are very important for us as a church, but Sundays is not the only thing. It's not everything. So Sunday is not the only, or maybe it's not even the primary place for, your, for you to exercise your gifts. We've been seeing that the primary context of spiritual gifts is relationships and not events. And so when we're talking about our gifts, it's not just... That's just the Sunday morning where we use our gifts, but we need to use them all throughout the week. Monday through Sunday, right? Just the whole week when you're at the dinner table, when you're out at the coffee shop with someone later this week, when you're in your home group, that is where the Holy Spirit wants to, to, to move in and through you as well, not just on Sunday morning. So again, whether it's Sundays or any other day, we all need to contribute with our gifts. But what about the gift of tongues? Well, let's talk about it. I've mentioned, you know, the gift of tongues several weeks throughout the past, or several times the past couple of weeks. And I've said, you know, we're going to get to tongues eventually, well, this week is that week. I know you've all been waiting for it, but before, <laughs> some of you are like, I'm waiting for it with nerves, and some of you are like, I'm waiting for it with excitement, but we're waiting for this week, right? 
Before I jump into verses 27 and 28, I want to actually back up a little bit and do a more of an overview of what, we, what we've seen so far in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. At the most basic level, tongues just simply means languages, okay? That's all it means. So it's really the gift of languages. We've just interpreted it, the gift of tongues. David Guzik, in his commentary, said this, The gift of tongues is a Holy Spirit-inspired ability to pray, praise, or speak to God in a language not known to one, the one who speaks it. And there's two types of tongues that we see in Scripture. Number one, there's the speaking in a foreign language. So if I were to start speaking in Arabic right now, that would be miraculous. You know why? Because I only know English. If I were to start speaking in Mandarin right now, that would be a miracle from the Holy Spirit because I've never studied Mandarin. And something like this actually happened in Acts chapter 2 where the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues that they had never known nor studied. So one form of tongues is the speaking of a foreign language. A second form of tongues is a spiritual language. And we see this in a couple passages of Scripture. Uh, in, in verse 2 of chapter 14, Paul says, For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he, he speaks mysteries. So he's saying that this form of tongues, he's not speaking to men. And it's important, once again, to keep in mind that the purpose of the gift of tongues is for prayer, is for praise. It's, it's all meant to be Godward focused, not manward. And he says that no one understands. So this spiritual language is probably not a known language. And then he says, it's in his spirit he speaks mysteries. So the spirit is leading this prayer. It's a mysterious thing. It's not clear what the content is. In verse 14, he says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And that's really the key. He's saying, my spirit is praying, but my mind doesn't understand what I'm saying. So this is take, talking about the form of communication that's unintelligible to us, but it's beneficial. And we've seen some, you know, we, are, we, should, we have some categories in our English language to describe, you know, some of this. We might say, like, uh, a groan, a sigh. A shout. Some of you groan more often than others, especially when you're getting out of bed. You're like, oh, but, but what does it do? It's unintelligible, but it's beneficial. 1 Corinthians 14, 15, Paul says, what is the outcome then? He says, he says, I will pray with the spirit and I'll pray with the mind also. So he's making a distinction here between praying with his mind, praying with the spirit. And that's why I call it a spiritual language because it's praying with the spirit. Now, it's also important to note that this is not, the spiritual language is not just gibberish. It might sound that way to people who are hearing it, but that's honestly how a lot of languages sound when we don't understand them. But many people, over, you know, over time, they've referred to this spiritual language, and maybe you refer to it like this, a heavenly language, or maybe even an angelic language. And we get that from 1 Corinthians 13, 1, where Paul says, we looked at last week, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. So that's where that, that term angelic language would come from. Now, when it comes to the best context of tongues, Paul says here in verse 9 of chapter 14, however, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so this is important because clearly Paul is, Paul is pro speaking in tongues, but he's also saying here that it's best used in private. Not that it's only used in private, but it's best used in private. And I want you to notice what's implicit in this and, and many other verses is that speaking in tongues is something that you can control. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit can't come upon you or where it's so um, strong that you can't hold it back. I'm not saying that, but for more times than not, you can control it. Because Paul here in this chapter alone says, 
don't speak with tongues here. Don't speak with tongues in this situation. Do speak with tongues here, right? So it can be control. It shows that you can um, command this. There's another verse that I think would help be helpful for us to understand tongues as a spiritual language, and that's Romans 8.26 when Paul says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words." Now, I know that this doesn't necessarily talk about speaking in tongues, but it definitely applies to it. And what the Holy Spirit does is he gives us words. When we don't know what to pray, the Spirit helps us. And even, he says, with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you just feel like, I don't even know how to express this. I don't even know how to communicate this, right? And that's why he said, man, the Holy Spirit in that moment will help you to express this thing that's too deep for words. And so based off of scripture, this is what I want you to know. So for those of you that are a little like, I don't, still don't see this. I even talked to you know, a couple of people after the first service. Some are like high-fiving and the others are like, I mean, I just still struggle with this whole concept of speaking in tongues. Listen, my job as a pastor is to be able to say, here's what the Bible says in its entirety. Here's what the Bible says. And it's our job and our response to say, we stand upon God's word, right? Amen. The question is not, and if this is your question, you need to change it. The question is not, what do I believe? What do I want to believe? Okay? That's not the question. The question is not, what makes me feel comfortable when it comes to the Holy Spirit? No, no, no. The question should always be, what does the Word of God say? And to be able to follow that. Listen, I did not grow up in a context, in a church context, that exercised the gift of speaking in tongues. I grew up in a church where we, we believed in it, we believed in all of the gifts, but I never saw it practiced. And so in all transparency before you, um, the, this gift in particular feels foreign to me. But I want you to know that God's word talks about it. <laughs> The Holy Spirit gives this gift. Paul encourages this gift, and we're going to see that in a little bit later. And I just want you to know I'm at a place, though, in my life, though it feels foreign, and though it doesn't feel as natural, one, it's supernatural, but it doesn't, you know, just doesn't come, you know, and I haven't been exposed much to the gift of tongues, that I don't want to be skeptical or scared of how the Holy Spirit might want to work in my own life, okay? And I, and I, and I will admit to you, over the years, I have approached this with skepticism and, and a little bit of timidity, just timidity. But I don't. I want, Lord, I want all that you have for me. If you so choose to give me the gift of tongues here or there, Lord, I want all that you have for me. If you don't, Lord, I still want all that you have for me. And that's my prayer for you as a church as well, that we wouldn't want to hinder the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives or in the church, but we would come and say, Lord, I want all that you have for me. Amen? So again, there's two different kinds of tongues. One, there's the foreign language, speaking in a foreign language that you don't know. And then there's speaking in a language, and that's more of a private prayer language, um, now, just I want to look at a couple questions about tongues, not that you guys have any, um, but just in case, <laughs> you guys are going to have great discussion in your home groups this week. I love it. But just in case they come up. The first question I, wanna, I just want to ask this morning and look at is, should all Christians speak in tongues? Should all Christians speak in tongues? Do all Christians speak in tongues? I think 1 Corinthians chapter 12 answers this question directly. Paul would say, all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? And they're rhetorical questions, right? Very obvious answer that Paul's getting at. All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have the gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But he says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. So he's going through and he's making, being very clear on this. Not everyone has all of the gifts. Not everyone is going to have the gift of teaching. Not everyone is going to have the gift of faith or the gift of healing or the gift of miracles, right? So not everyone is going to have the gift of tongues. 
Now, you might also think of a, of a verse, verse 5 of chapter 14, where Paul would say this. He says, now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. So what's going on there? How do we reconcile this? Do we all speak in tongues or do we not all speak in tongues? Now, I want to jog your memory for a second back to chapter 7. I know it feels like a lifetime ago to me, but it probably feels like that to you. But in chapter 7, Paul is talking about uh, singleness and marriage and, and in his own journey with celibacy. And he said this, he says, Yet I wish that all men were even as myself am, I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. So he's clearly saying this is not a command from God that everyone should be single, Everyone's like, all the married people are like, amen, or, like, <laughs> and, or, or celibate. Like nobody, you know, he's not saying that, you know, no one should get married. He's not speaking of a di divine command, but of his own personal desire. And, and Paul, he speaks, he says he speaks in tongues. He, he does it a lot, right? It's a bit large part of his personal experience and relationship with the Lord. And out of that, he's just like, man, I wish you all could experience the Lord like this. Like, I speak in tongues like a ton, and I want you to. But he's not saying that everyone will, even though it's possible that everyone could. So we have to remember, church, that it's the Holy Spirit who determines what gifts that we have. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 12, 1. He says, but one in the Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. The Holy Spirit determines the gifts that we have. And so not all believers do speak in tongues because it's the Holy Spirit who determines that and empowers people to, do, uh, to carry out their gifts. You know, recently I've had many conversations with some of you and even those outside of this church. And, you know, we're kind of building up to the gift of tongues and it's super controversial in just the evangelical church of a whole. But I was able to hear some stories in the last couple of weeks where some people have had different church backgrounds where uh, they felt pressured to speak in tongues. And maybe that is your story. Maybe you felt um, forced. It felt forced. Like, you know, everyone needs to do this. And if you don't do this, then you might need to question your salvation or that if you're spirit-filled. And some, he told me the story that, um, that people even taught them how to speak in tongues, like it's in, a, in a way that doesn't acknowledge that this is the Holy Spirit who gives it. Like, this isn't a man-centered gift. This is a Holy Spirit gift that he gives. And so I understand that so many people have different um, backgrounds when it comes to uh, the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues. Some of you, you might have come from a church background that, that, that said, or that, that holds a position that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. That's wrong. It's not biblical. Listen, there's only one evidence um, that marks your salvation. That's your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, there's some church backgrounds that say, like, if, unless you speak in tongues, that you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's completely bogus. Give me a verse and a chapter, and I would love to read it. It doesn't exist. So what about, though, tongues in the Sunday morning gathering? Uh-oh, look at verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three, and each in turn, and one must interpret. Verse 28. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Now, I want you to notice that he uses the word, he's saying if. He says if anyone speaks in a tongue. So it's not a requirement for, for a church to be a biblical church and no one to speak in tongues, you know, on a Sunday morning. But he says if it happens publicly, then there's clear direction on how it should happen. He says, if it happens, there must be an interpreter, okay? If it's going to happen in the gathering, there must, like publicly in the gathering, there must be an interpreter. It should only be one at a time, so not everyone's just bouncing off different, you know, the uh, tongues going on, and it should be no more than two or three people. So he gives clear direction on how it should be exercised. Now, you might be asking, well, what about our church, like, how does this play out for us as Calvary Chapel? Well, first, I want to remind you that the context in which this was written in is a lot different from our own context. 
The context of what he's written, like the church in Corinth in the first century, looks a lot different from our own context here in 2022. Yes, 22. (laughs) And namely, one of the biggest differences is, you know, in Corinth, you're talking more of a house church. You're talking about no more than 50 people where everybody knows each other. Everyone's in relationship with one another. There's love kind of for one another. So it's when someone were to one at a time there in Corinth say, you know, speak out in tongues. It's not like a pastor over hundreds. There's probably a few hundred of you here this morning or thousands saying, all right, does anyone have an interpretation of this tongue? Like that's not the context of what Paul is saying. He says the context here is it's in relationship, number one. We all know each other. We all know each other's gifts. So we have to understand that. But I'm not saying is that it shouldn't happen in a service, but here's what I am saying, that it doesn't have to happen on a stage for it to happen in a biblical way. Let me say that one more time. It doesn't have to happen on a stage or on a platform or in a microphone for it to happen in a biblical way. In fact, I know that the gift of tongues is being exercised on a weekly basis in our church. It happens more privately or quietly when we're singing or we're praying. Just last week after the second, second service, I believe, um, so, someone wanted to pray um, just over me, and um, they, spoke in, they prayed in English and in their spiritual language. So it's happening. The the gift of tongues is happening, but it doesn't have to have a microphone to be exercised. And just because we don't, as a church, lead out in a corporate tongues doesn't mean that we don't believe in it. We firmly believe in it. But Paul does say, though, that if this should happen publicly in the worship gathering, that there is a biblical mandate, and here it is, that there must be someone there to interpret it. And if there isn't, Paul says you must refrain from publicly speaking. And the reason for, you know, um, that you would refrain from this is when you speak without an interpreter, Paul says that it only edifies you, the one speaking. But if you have an interpreter, if we're here like in our night of prayer, um, like last night we had a night of prayer, if someone were to speak out in tongues and there was an interpreter there to interpret what was said, one, it's a prayer or a praise, so it's always this way, it's never, remember, it's never like, you know, my people, like, you know, it's not directed at us, it's all towards God. But if someone were to interpret the, the tongue that was there, man, it would just edify everyone in that room. It would, just, it would just like cause all of our hearts to just, magnif- just want to magnify the Lord. I was in a pastor's conference a few years ago. And again, like I said, the, the gifts of tongues were, were, were pretty foreign to me. And again, we're in a pastor's conference. Everyone is a believer. We're in this response time after the message. And everyone, I think, is kind of forward. We're just kind of waiting on the Lord, right? We want to, we want to leave space for the Holy Spirit kind of to move in our midst and um, one of the pastors of a local Calvary started speaking out in tongues in a very orderly fashion. And at first I'm like, you know, like, what is going on here? Like, um, but I immediately, and I kid you not, my heart, I'm listening to this. My heart was like flooded with these praises um, to the Lord. Like, it was incredible. I'm like, I don't know what I'm experiencing right now. And then again, very orderly, very biblically, um, he, he, after he spoke in tongues, he says, now let's just wait for an interpretation. Let's wait for an interpretation. And guess what? There was a pastor's wife sitting to my right, and she says, I believe I have the interpretation. And I kid you not, the same thing she interpreted was the exact same words of, and, and praises that were flooding in my heart. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And it just caused my heart to be like, Holy Spirit, you are here. Your presence has been made known. And it just caused my heart just to worship all of the more, all the more. And so again, when I say without an interpreter, the person speaking is the only one edified. But with an interpreter, we all get to participate in that tongue and in that, that gift together. But we need to remember that when we're gathering together, we gather together to worship. The emphasis is always building up one another, doing things that are good, that are co- collectively good for all of us. That's why Paul says in verse 4, one who speaks in the tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. What Paul is saying is that speaking in tongues edifies the speaker. 
right? But speaking, but, but, but one who prophesies edifies the church. So if I'm going to gather together, okay, if you have this gift, uh, you know, of speaking in tongues, if I'm going to gather with the body of Christ on a Sunday morning where there's hundreds of people, I'm going to be looking for ways that not just edify me, but edify those around me. Why? Because I came here to be part of the body. I didn't come here to worship solo. I came here to worship collectively. I came here to worship alongside my other brothers and sisters in the Lord. Amen? You tracking? Figure it out with your home group later this week. That's great. I'll do the same. (laughs) So guys, everyone contributes. This is the body of Christ. Everyone contributes. We've looked at the gift of tongues. Now let's look at order. How does this get really played out from the Apostle Paul? Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. And this is the key, verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now, many people assume that to be led by the Spirit means that there's no order or there's no structure to, like, the gathering, right? It's kind of like an open mic night, if you will. It's like anyone can just get up and share and shout and randomly, you know, bust into song or do kind of... It's, that's not what's going on here. But people often assume... That that's what it means to be spirit-led, to be led by the spirit. Because the assumption is often that spontaneous equals spiritual. And I've been guilty of, of just only believing that, that spontaneous equals spiritual. Now, spon- spontaneous can be certainly be very spiritual, but it's not the only form. And here's how I would liken, liken this. There's some pastors that believe in no study of God's word. Okay? They're just like, we're not going to study. I'm just going to go up there with my open Bible, and I'm just going to say whatever the Holy Spirit kind of brings to mind, right? And so, um, and th- again, because there's so much emphasis on spontaneity, I firmly believe that not only is the Holy Spirit, church, leading me in what I'm saying to you right now, and I really pray that he does and is, but I also believe that the Holy Spirit is with me Monday through Saturday as I'm reading through the text, as I'm reading commentaries, as I'm building my outline, the Holy Spirit is there leading me and ministering to me in preparation. So the Holy Spirit can lead, yes, in, in, in no structure, but he also can lead in structure, and we cannot limit the Holy Spirit. And so we need to make sure that we just don't only equate openness to the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, with spontaneity and emotions. Spontaneity and emotions, they definitely um, are involved in a move of the Spirit. But we're seeing here that from the Apostle Paul is that the Holy Spirit, an order in the church, is that order brings peace. God is not a God of confusion. And here Paul is laying out for the, for the Corinthian church basic instructions to maintain this order in their gatherings. Listen, order doesn't restrict the Spirit but it's a God-given structure within which the Spirit can move. And I, and I, I use this example of jazz music. I'm not, I'm not like a studier of jazz music, but I know just the basics to get me in trouble. Um, but, but jazz music is known for improvisation, for going off the cuff, for improvising, where you kind of let, you know, you feel led in that moment. But if you don't know much about jazz music, you might be thinking, oh, they're just doing their thing over there. But in reality, there's a very clear structure that they're improvising within. There's a key that they're playing in, right? They're not just playing like like the rest of the band's an E and they're playing like an F sharp or something, like slightly. No, no. There's a key. There's scales to that key that they're playing. There's major. There's minor chords. And so what you have when you're listening to jazz music is there is a flourishing within structure. There's a flourishing within boundaries. It's this order that people submit to that leads to spontaneity and improvising. And so it is, church, within the church. 
And scripture lays out for us an order that, of, um, of what we're supposed to do. And there's a lot of flexibility in this order. There's a lot of different flavors in this order, but it all must be done in order, properly in an order, as Paul says in this chapter. And so to be, led, to be a spirit-led people, to be a spirit-led church, which I hope and pray that we are, it doesn't always come in the form of spontaneity. The spirit can definitely lead in structure, but I also want to add in the same breath that sometimes people, and we, and I can be guilty of this, we love our structure so much, we hold on to our structure and our formula and our planning so much that we plan the Holy Spirit out of it. We don't give him any room to move in the moment. So we have to be careful of that just as, as well. Here's what we need. This is what I pray for over my life and I pray over you. Is what, here's what we need. We need Holy Spirit sensitivity at all times. So there's Holy Spirit sensitivity in the study of God's word when I'm studying. There's Holy Spirit sensitivity in the delivery of God's word when I'm delivering it to you. That's what we need is Holy Spirit sensitivity. Paul continues on in talking about order in the church in verse 34. The women are to keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak but are subject to themselves just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth or has it come to you only? Now, amazing verses. Wow, like, what's he going to say right now? <laughs> Let's all just take a deep breath. <laughs> Paul is not saying, I like to always say, start with what he's not saying. Paul is not saying that women cannot speak in church. Women say amen to that. Amen. See, they just spoke in church. He's, so he's not saying that... He's not saying that women have to be completely silent in a church setting. Why do I say that? Because in chapter 11, Paul has already addressed this. He's already said that women can pray and prophesy in the church gathering. So he's not saying that women have to be 100% silent. No speaking. But here Paul is forbidding a particular type of speaking. If you notice, you have to keep in context with the flow of what he's writing. In the verses that he's leading up to in this verse, in 29 through 33, Paul has been talking about order in the church when it comes to prophecy, the gifts of the Spirit. And he's saying when someone prophesies, what they share, it needs to be judged. Is it right or is it wrong? Is it truly of the Lord or is it not? And the question is then, whose responsibility is it to stand up in the church and to make that judgment? of is it accurate or not? Well, in the structure that we find in Scripture, it's the church leadership's job. It's the, the, the elders of the church who are qualified men of God. And so most likely Corinth had a situation going on where wives were publicly disagreeing with their husbands and they're causing a scene in the church gathering. And in their culture, again, like I mentioned, it's a lot different from us, where the women would be on one side, the men would be on the other, and if there was a disagreement, because they were so out of order, the wife would stand up and be like, Johnny, that's not right. Like this, I think it means more like this. You're like, what is going on? Paul's like, no, 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 stop it. <laughs> stop speaking. This is the place of the eldership of the church to determine whether it's of the Lord or of not. And if you women and wives, that, that word that he uses for, for women or wives is interchangeable. Um, I, like, I, I see it more as wives. But if you have questions or concerns about what you're hearing in the corporate gathering, don't make a public scene about it. Go to your husbands. There's this covering. There's this headship and authority that Pastor Kevin spoke on back in chapter 11. Go bring it up to your husbands at home. Verse 37, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Paul is in essence claiming that his words are God's words. And the proof of whether these people there in Corinth are true prophets or not would be shown in whether they would submit to his apostolic authority and the word of God. Verse 39, he says, therefore... My brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. 
but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. God is a God of order and peace. And he wants order. He desires order when the church comes together. Why? So that all may be edified, built up, and strengthened. So that all can enjoy. And the church of Corinth, again, they were out of order. They were abusing the gifts. And Paul is calling them to remember there is an order that you need to have going on in your gathering so that everyone can be edified, so that everyone can be ministered to, not just some, but all. Now, I'm not sure your church backgrounds, all of you, some of you I do know, but there are a lot of churches out there, just like Corinth, who have abused the gifts of the Spirit. And whether they meant to or not, um, they are, they're not operating biblically when it comes to exercising the gifts. And what I mean by that is this. There are some churches um, that are so open to the spontaneity of the Spirit where they'll just allow freedom for anyone and everyone to stand up and just start speaking out in tongues even when like the teaching of God's Word is happening. And what you have is it throws off the teaching of God's Word and it becomes a distraction and, we, and what we know about the Holy Spirit is he is a God of order, is that he'll never interrupt himself when he's speaking. And so what you have kind of going on is just kind of more chaos. There's no structure. There's no order. The Holy Spirit works well in order, biblically in order. But may we as a church never neglect the gifts, even the gift of tongues. Let me read you this verse one more time. It says, do not forbid the speaking in tongues. But my prayer for us is that we would always use the gifts in an orderly and biblical way that would build up the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. As we close this morning, as we move on from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, moving on from a weekly conversation about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, can I just say that we're not going to move on from being dependent of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in this church? We don't move on. Amen? Listen, I believe there is so much more that the Lord wants to teach us as we learn to depend on Him as we learn to properly and biblically edify the church with the gifts that he gives us. There's so much more that he has for us. And so I want to encourage you, as I encourage myself this morning, to open yourself up to the Holy Spirit. When you come to church, would you come expectant? Would you come expectant, church, not just to receive, though I pray you receive, but would you come expectant, ready to give? to be used by the Lord, to see how he might want to use you? Would you come expectant to desire the gifts of the Spirit, believing that this is not just a spectator sport, that we des- when we desire the gifts, that this is we're desiring the Holy Spirit himself to empower us, not just to do things for God, but with God? How does God want to partner with you? How does he want to partner with me in what he wants to do with us? Would I be flexible and sensitive? Would the Holy Spirit give us sensitivity? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. And I just pray that, Holy Spirit, you would have taught us and that our hearts would just understand more and more your heart, Lord your heart for us as a church, that you desire to use each and every one of us for your body, for the edification of your body. And I just pray that, Lord, for those right now that are just struggling, finding their place, finding their role, Lord, where am I gifted? Where can I be used? Lord, I just pray, and, and, and maybe this is a word for you, I don't know, but maybe you've been trying to... Um, kind of force yourself into maybe a particular ministry or an idea of how you think the Lord wants to use you. 
But maybe, maybe this is a word for you this morning that maybe God has something entirely different from you, but you just need to be open to it. So maybe you're just trying to force yourself, like, I, that this is the only way I can serve. This is the only way I can give. This is the only way I can do. But maybe the Lord has something completely different. Would you be open to how the Lord might want to use you? And it might look completely different. But would you be open to the gifts of the Spirit? Father, I just pray for just that, that supernatural sensitivity in all of our hearts. Even right now, as we're hearing the word of God, as we meditate and we marinate in the words that were spoken, just pray for a heart that's open to you, Lord. And I pray that even in my own life, Lord, that I would have a heart that's open, that just desires to honor you, Lord, with what you've entrusted to us. Help us, Lord, to steward these gifts well for your glory. This morning, as we turn our hearts towards receiving communion. If you didn't receive a, a packet when you came in, you can just raise your hand and the ushers will, will be there to just hold it up. I think everyone has one, great. But if you don't, raise it up. But I wanna just say, you know, as we've been talking about the spiritual gifts, what we find is that God is a giver of gifts. Amen? He's so generous. But one of the greatest things that, he, that God has ever given to us is his son, Jesus Christ. Salvation in Jesus. The Bible tells us in John chapter three that God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that who would ever believe in Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that an amazing gift? And so this morning as we come and we receive these elements, as we look at the bread and we hold the juice in our hands, we remember the greatest gift ever given, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, who died on a cross, not because he deserved it, he was completely innocent. He lived that perfect life, but he died on the cross for you and for me so that we could have a right relationship with God. So, so that he could adopt us into the family of God. Isn't that good news? And so this morning, as we hold these elements, as we sing this chorus, we remember Jesus. And so just allow, just allow this amazing gift that God has given to us in Jesus, allow that just to bless you, that God so loved the world that he gave Jesus for you. Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this study. Stay tuned for our next series coming soon.